Have you ever noticed that whenever you buy something new, whether it's the last cell phone you bought or a new car or even a new home, the very concept of new means that there's something this product has that the old version didn't. It's different. They've added to it. They've added more functions. They've added more bells and whistles. Not just adjusted, but sometimes completely revamped, completely contrasting what you used to have. And so you get in that car and you look at all the buttons and you say, wow, my old car didn't have GPS built in. My last phone didn't have voice recognition. My apartment didn't have a washer and dryer. There's something new. There's something different. And what's more, if we are looking forward to something that we want to purchase that perhaps hasn't come out yet, the newest iPhone, for example, we anticipate the new functions, what they're announcing that it will be. And so they want to put in our minds a contrast to what you have in your pocket now to what you can have in your pocket a few weeks from now. And so we long for that. We desire that. It is these comparisons that help us to appreciate what we are about to have in contrast to what we have right now. And this is the very method that Paul employs in our passage this morning as he continues teaching on the resurrection body by comparing our future eternal resurrection bodies with our current old earthly bodies that will one day pass away. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Our passage this morning is in verses 42 through 44. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verses 42 through 44, for several weeks now, we've been unpacking verse by verse through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we've been looking at the reality of our eternal glory and our physical resurrection bodies. And a couple weeks ago, we entered a passage in where he switches from defending the truth of the resurrection and starts giving us details on what this resurrection body will actually be like. And we continue that description with these various contrasts this morning in verses 42 through 44 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. This morning, straight from the text, I want to give you four contrasts. Four contrasts between our present and future bodies. That is our earthly bodies and our resurrection eternal bodies. Four contrasts between present and future bodies. And these contrasts are to help us understand what our future body will be like. And these contrasts help us to anticipate with joy what we will be for eternity. And the contrasts also have a very ingenious factor built right into it, is that we understand what these bodies are like. We understand what we endure. We understand we're sinners. We understand that we feel pain. We will understand that we will all die one day. And so the contrast is all the more hopeful 
bringing hope in our lives as we see that all the difficulties, all the temporality of our earthly bodies will one day be no more. Well, let me give you our first contrast between our present and future bodies. The contrast is temporal. Temporal. Let me read for you again verse 42. He writes, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. Obviously, the contrast there is perishable versus imperishable, but we cannot ignore this first sentence in verse 42, which is a transitional statement. And with this, he connects us to his previous analogy of farming, of gardening that we saw, as well as the different types of bodies, sun and moon, birds and beasts, etc. And what he did there, which we saw two weeks ago, was to illustrate and with, or to help the reader with these illustrations understand God's sovereign power over creation. He was saying, look at the variety that God has created How in the world can you doubt that He will create a resurrection body? And in doing this, He emphasizes God's ability to do just that. To give us a sinless, never-ending, never-dying body one day, thus addressing the doubts and debates of the Corinthians. Now, having established this power of God, He now moves on to describe our current body with our resurrection body. In doing so, he maintains the gardening illustration of sowing and reaping. And he begins by saying, so also, which can be translated in this manner or in this way. So just as the glory of the stars differs from the glory of, say, the horse, or the plant differs from the seed sown, as we saw a couple weeks ago, so our earthly bodies will differ from our eternal bodies. And this small phrase, so also, connects us to all the underlying lessons that we saw a couple weeks ago, such as the discontinuity between this body and the next, God's power to transform, God's ability to create variety, just look around, and the continuity of our personality or our identities. Now, in our passage this morning, every time... And he does this in all four contrasts. Every time Paul speaks of what is, quote, sown, he is referring to our earthly bodies, the body that you now have. And then he says what is raised, like the plant that grows from the seed, speaks of the eternal resurrection body. And again, he does this with four comparisons. It is sown, it is raised. It is sown, it is raised. Four times. Now to the first contrast. He makes it in the second part of verse 42. It is sown perishable. It is raised imperishable. Perishable is simply anything that is in a state of decay, decomposition, corruption. Human life, the human body, and any sort of life on earth for that matter is subject to deterioration and ultimately death. Everything that's alive dies. It's part of life. And it's part of life because of sin. We come from dust. We will return to dust. Ecclesiastes 3.20 Our days are like the flower or the grass, which is bright green 
the pretty flower, but we know one day it will fade away and it will be no more. That's straight from Psalm 103. And note, it is our body that is perishable, our physical body, not our essence, not our soul, not our being. It is our physical bodies, the vehicle or the instrument, if you will, by which we are identified in this world in which, like the flower and the grass of Psalm 103, we will flourish for a time, but our bodies will decay. They will be no more. And we understand this. From the moment of birth, the clock is ticking. From the day that a baby is conceived in the mother's womb, the countdown to death begins. And this idea of decay reminds us that this is not just about living this vibrant, energetic life for 80, 90, 100 years, and you're at the top of your game, and then suddenly you die. You're running marathons until the day you die. And we know that's not true. We see decay in our bodies. Even now, even this morning when you looked in the mirror, from the stretching of our skin to sunspots to the exhaustion of the pigment in our hair follicles so that all new hairs are colorless or gray. We can use makeup. We can use hair dye. We can use plastic surgery. They may fool the onlooker, but they do not stop time. And they do not stop the decay of our bodies. My friends, I... You, we are all dying, and there's nothing we can do about it. But the good news is, that is merely what is sown. As depressing as that may be, as hard as that may be for you to hear and acknowledge in your own life, and probably even more uh, significantly in the lives of loved ones, especially the elderly, we know that this actually brings hope and joy for our eternity. Because what is raised, Paul goes on to say, is imperishable. So if imperishable is decay and corruption, then imperishable is incorruption. That which is not subject to decay. That which is no longer subject to decay because, and speaking of our resurrection bodies, because it is no longer subject to or controlled by sin. This is so important to understand. All of this, the gray hairs, the pain, the knee surgeries, it's because of sin. The resurrection body, though, is in essence the reversal of decay. Unlike some new spa treatment or miracle face cream that may reverse the signs of aging for a time, the resurrection body will never know age, never know deterioration. Your resurrection body will have excellence and beauty. And that excellence and beauty on day one will be the same excellence and beauty on day 100, a day thousand, day one million, and on through eternity. 
it will look exactly the same as the day you receive the body. It won't change. It is a glorified body that is unaffected and unstained by sin. Death will be no more. Sin will be no more. My friends, enjoy the gray hairs. Enjoy the wrinkles. Relish in the pain because someday they will be no more. Forever. No matter what you do, no matter what you try, our resurrection bodies will have no corruption, no sin, no pain. Perishable now, imperishable for eternity. Contrast number two between present and future bodies is spiritual. Spiritual. The beginning of verse 43 says, It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Dishonor means shame. It means humiliation. Back then, when Paul's day, it could mean someone who had lost his rights of citizenship. That's kind of a bad thing here in the U.S., much worse if you were a Roman citizen because the citizenship of Rome afforded you many, many benefits, including, as we've seen even from Scripture, no matter what you do, you can't be crucified. No matter what you do, you cannot be thrown in the amphitheater to be killed by gladiators or by wild animals. And on down there. So to lose one's citizenship was a huge thing. It was shameful. It was humiliating. So all of these definitions, these translations, fall in line with what Paul is saying here. But to understand the full force of what he's teaching, in this first part we do need to bring in the contrast, which is that it is raised in glory. When sin entered the world at the fall, mankind lost its full ability to glorify God. This is, this is a, a huge part of the gospel message. Because Adam and Eve were created to walk with God, to fellowship with God, to glorify God, and they lost that ability. And even in redemption in Christ, we do not have a full ability, full capacity as we were meant to and as we will one day have. God created man to honor God, to walk with Him, to enjoy Him. And not only the ability to do these things, but also the potential just the potential for these things was destroyed by sin. Yes, you can glorify God, you can honor Him, you can do righteous things, but not perfectly. Not in a way where your pride and your sin and your confusion about Scripture doesn't get in the way. This is dishonor. This is shame. This is humiliation. And it's all because of sin. I rejoice in who we are in Christ. I rejoice in what we have, the ability to sing and mean those words, to truly trust in God. But the very bodies that we live in are identified by shame and humiliation because of sin. You know, I've often talked to you guys about having a high view of God. As believers, that is the fundamental truth 
motivation that needs to be behind everything. It's the key to living the Christian life properly. And when I say living it properly, I mean not external behavior. We do this. We can do this. Where we change our external behavior so that things that we do merely to stop the guilt, merely to stop the, 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 the assumed peer pressure or the disdain of other people. It's not from the heart. We've all tried this and it has failed because it's not from the heart. It's not because we have a high view of God and says, God deserves this. It's because, well, I want to fix my marriage. I want to be an example to my kids. I want to have this. I want to do that. I don't want to look bad. I don't want whatever. So it's still selfish, even though externally it looks holy. It's not holy because it's not out of a high view of God. And so we have to be motivated by that. We have to be in awe of God. We have to fall on our knees before God and say, not I feel bad, so I want to change, but how could I do this to my Lord? You want lasting repentance. This has to be our motivation. A high view of God. It's not just I want to change because of this or him or them or whatever or just for myself. But a heart attitude that leaves you no choice but to live according to God's standards. Because you have that biblical blend of respect and joy and terror in the fear of the Lord. But in understanding how to live the Christian life, a high view of God must be coupled with something else. Because a big part of understanding the holiness and the greatness of God along with the beauty and necessity of the Savior is not just having a high view of God, but having the right view of sin. It's not just something, well, yeah, that's bad. I I really need to deal with that. Sin has destroyed you. Sin has destroyed your bodies. The fact that we are not all professional athletes with no need for any training is because of sin. The fact that COVID is a thing is because of sin. The fact that cancer is a thing is because of sin. HIV, AIDS, the flu, the cold, anything, any of those, it's because of sin. Man fears death because of sin. We grow old because of sin. We long for when our children are young because we're getting older. Our days are limited because of sin. You have to understand the reality of sin. Not your eternal soul. But you have been wrecked in the sense that you are not functioning the way you should spiritually in relation to your Creator. And frankly, you're not functioning the way you should physically, the way that you're created to be. And so that general principle of sin has to leak into the daily sin that we have in our lives. There are people that have proposed, theologians, pastors, not many, but some, that have proposed that the believer, 
rare but possible, that the believer can actually go 24 hours without sinning. I don't just say, well, that sounds nice, but it's wrong. I call that heresy. You're sinning all the time. You are sinning in ways that you don't even recognize. By the way, side point, this is why it's so important to be involved in the church. We're not here to bash you because of your sin. We're here to help you with your walk with God. And in order to do that, we need to know. We need you to open up. We need to open up to you. We need to be able to encourage, but also admonish and confront. Because what is more important than my friendship with you, my shepherding, your friendship with each other, is your walk with God. God created the church not so that we can have fun together. God created the church to glorify Himself through us as a body, but also us as individuals. And how do we do that? We help each other be more holy. But sometimes we don't like that. And sometimes that hurts. But it's pain that helps us. Back to the text. This sin because it has infiltrated every cell of your body, every thought that you have. You understand, you can't even worship without sin. We can't even sing without distractions. You can't listen to me now without wanting to question, fight back, judge me. I get that. We're sinners. You can't even pray or read the Scriptures without doubting, without questioning, without, what, God did this? Because we're sinners. It's part of us. Sin is part of your very definition. We are broken. We are perishable. We are sown in dishonor. It is part of who we are. Just like if you, if you were to take your broken cell phone with the cracked screen, there's water in it. It doesn't turn on. You can't go to the Verizon store and say, I want to trade in my phone. I want to sell my phone. You have to specify, I want to trade in my broken phone. It defines what that phone is now. And sin and dishonor and brokenness defines who we are. This should not just make us rejoice in our salvation, that we can have a right relationship with God. But it must also grieve us because we want to do better, but we can't. We want to worship perfectly, but we can't. We want to have relationships where we're not embarrassed to share the gospel or with Christians where we're not upset, we're not offended, we're not judgmental, but we can't. We want to honor God in absolutely everything. But sometimes we don't even know how. How do I do that? How do I worship God as my boss is yelling at me to meet the deadline? How do I do that? We can't do the things that our hearts as led by the Holy Spirit want to do. We cannot do it. 
for now. Because what is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. Glory. Glory is that which makes someone or something weighty or impressive. That's why when we speak of the glory of God, we're talking about His character. It's that which makes Him worthy of worship, makes Him heavy, weighty, some, someone of substance, someone to reckon with. And everything that we have described in defining dishonor, glory is the opposite. Defined by sin now, glory for eternity. Sinless. Unable to worship and honor God perfectly now in glory. That's all we'll do. That's all we will do. We will be perfect. And we will excel in every way. Every longing in our spiritual desires on this earth will be fulfilled. Every nagging dissuasion from the full acceptance of every word of Scripture, gone. And every selfish distraction from fully pleasing the Lord will be left in the grave. We will be raised in glory. Glory forever. Well, I get that, but what if I have this thought, you won't have that thought? Well, what if I see God and I see Him physically in His presence and, and I get mad, you won't get mad. But what about, there's no what about. Because sin makes those what ifs possible in this life and there is no sin there. Not in you, not in creation, not in any being. We will be raised in glory and we will live in that glory for eternity. And all of this is not merely spiritual. There is a physical perfection as well. And that leads us to our third contrast between present and future bodies. The physical contrast. The physical. Look at the end of verse 43. The body is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. This contrast ultimately centers around death and the inevitability of death in our weakness. To be sown in weakness is a continuation of the themes of decay and humiliation that we've already seen. And it's now emphasizing how fragile, how vulnerable, and how temporary our physical bodies really are. This is more than just a lack of physical strength. This is an overarching description of our being. You know, we may not see it truly this way because of the inevitability of death. The truth of the matter is that the fact that we all die is the ultimate sign of how fragile and how weak we really are. Weakness is not a complete absence of power, but it is a lack of power. And again, because of sin and the resulting decay, the lack of power is significant enough that we're all going to die. Even before death, our fragility is evident to us. It's on display at every moment. You even look at creation. 
what God has created, and we are reminded, oh, I can't do that because I don't have a hard shell like a turtle. I can't do that because I can't squeeze my body into a small crevice like a rat or an octopus. I need to be careful. I need to look both ways before crossing the street. I should not get in a knife fight. I should not get shot. No matter how healthy or athletic you are, you need shelter and clothing to survive in most conditions on earth. You get tired. You have to sleep. You ever pulled an all-nighter? How was your day the next day? Happy? We get sick. I mean, we talk about all-nighters because it's a rare thing. Whoa, you had to pull an all-nighter? Man, crazy, right? Because that's unnatural to our bodies, to life. You know, for all intents and purposes, our earthly bodies are simply a disposable version of something permanent. The permanent is to come. You ever, and this applies to men or women, you ever gone on vacation, you're staying at a hotel? I know most of you just do Airbnbs, but stick with me here. Like, ah, forgot my razor. You're flipping through that, that book that is, you know, in the hotel room that you know is really clean. You're flipping through and they say, hey, you forget something? Come to the front desk. Q-tips, whatever. And then on there is razor. Like, ah, I'll go get a razor. You ever gotten one of those? You ever seen a single blade disposable razor? Go to your hotel front desk, okay? They give you this flimsy little thing and it's disposable. It does the job, but it is the cheapest version possible because they're giving that away free. They're not making money on this thing. You don't want to keep it. You don't shave with that thing and say, ooh, I'm going to keep this forever, right? Throw that in my toiletry kit. Man, I'm going to, I'm going to use this a hundred times. No, it barely survived that one shave. You just hold it wrong and the thing breaks. It's a hotel razor meant for someone who is going to use it temporarily while they're away from home. Our current bodies are not meant to be permanent. Like that razor, they are meant for someone who is going to use it temporarily while they're away from home. We're not home. Heaven, the new earth, that is our home. So why have something permanent? Why give away something permanent when they know you're just staying for a short while? We're just passing through. When we get home, we will have bodies that are permanent for our permanent home. We're just aliens passing through, doing the good work the Lord has in store for us, yes. But until He welcomes us home in His timing, we're not home. Temporary shelter, temporary place, Aliens in a foreign land, temporary bodies. And at that time, when he calls us home, and not one second sooner, we will be raised in power. This speaks less of its permanence, which imperishable covered, and more of its nature. Most importantly, 
these new bodies will never be conquered by death. We are again reminded of the likeness to Christ's resurrection body. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Just listen if you want. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21 speaks of where our home is and speaks of these bodies. It says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. So just as weakness continues the themes of decay and humiliation, so power further explains imperishable, the reversal of decay, and glory alluding to all that will be that we will be and do by the power of the Spirit for eternity. And this power will allow us to do that which we always dreamed of in our most righteous longings and pursuits on this planet. Not only because sin will no longer be in the way of our hearts and minds, but the consequences of sin will no longer be in the way of our physical and spiritual abilities. No sickness, no pain, no disease. Our bodies will be dependable. Our bodies will be permanent, never growing old, never tiring, never weary. Think about your life, your Christian walk. How many times in the course of your Christian walk have you known you should do something for God? That would be best. I should probably do this. Or maybe it's for His people. I know He needs help. I really should should go help Him. But I'm tired. Being lazy, you're genuinely tired. You're exhausted. You're pressed for time. Knowing that even if you said, well, I'll just pray for him, you'll fall asleep in the middle of your prayers or be incoherent to the, to, to God knows your heart, but you'll be incoherent with your words. How many times have you known you should attend that event, but you are so tired or in so much pain that you're afraid you'll get in a car accident on the way there? How many times have you weighed the pros and cons, picking and choosing the acts of service and worship because you only have so much time and energy? You have a job. You have a family. You have a need for rest and a dozen other normal daily obligations. So you just sit there feeling guilty because you can't go or you don't want to go. They need your help, but you can't do it. What do I do? Should I do it? Well, if I go here, if I do, and then selfishness gets in. No, it's not about His liking me. I just got to do it for the Lord. And all of this. We've all been through these. And Paul is telling us, one day, all of these battles in our hearts and minds will be no more. No more. I think of those watching our live stream right now because disease keeps them at home. No more. Those who can't make it to their cars because they're recovering from surgery. No more. Missing out on fellowship because baby won't sleep 
or the doctor is calling or the physical therapist is at the door one day no more. Even the realities of life outlined in Scripture, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, will be no more. In eternity, everything that your spirit wants to do, you will do. Guys, I'm tired. You're tired. Most of us can barely keep up with the norms of life. Sometimes we wake up. It's not even a, you're not even called to, to work on a weekend. It's a normal work day and you're just like, I don't know how I can do this. I'm tired. And you feel guilty because the only option is, well, I can sleep in Sunday, but i got to be at church. We are exhausted. I'm sure there are some of you, but it's pretty rare to wear, work a 40-hour work week in the Bay Area. It's, it's unheard of. You don't do it. You take work home. You prepare lessons. You, you prepare the, the, the court case, whatever it may be burning the midnight oil, doing things you thought you were done with in college, drinking an espresso at midnight. You're exhausted. I'm exhausted. But one day, no more. Well, we've seen three contrasts between present and future bodies. We've seen the temporal, the spiritual, the physical... And fourthly, the environmental. Verse 44. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. The natural body is the physical body that we have now. It is suited for life on modern earth. And it is subject to sin. It belongs here. It belongs only here in this present age. In no way should we look at all the negatives we've seen about our present bodies and say, well, that surely diminishes God's creative power and wisdom. No. It's still amazing. Stained by sin, yes, but amazing. I know some of us, some people lose these, but the five senses that God created, perfect for this world. Exactly what we need to survive. They are ideal for life in this world. Because our physical bodies were given by God exactly what we need for this world. Even with the effects of the fall impacting every cell in our bodies, we are still suited for earthly living. But none of these things, the five senses, physical bodies, whatever it may be, are sufficient for the environment of eternity. Although what is sown is a natural body, what is raised is a spiritual body. A body which expresses fully the Spirit. A body which is made by the Holy Spirit to be suited for immortality. So when Paul says spiritual here, he's not using it in the sense of immaterial, but of the supernatural. Recreated by God. A body adapted to eternal existence. 
We began our service this morning by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where our natural bodies are likened to a tent. Some of you sleep in tents when you're camping, temporarily. It is meant to break down, thrown in the back of a truck, and put in storage. It's a tent. And what a fitting analogy from someone who knew tents. Paul was literally someone who made tents for a living. But then it says that our bodies are a permanent building. You see the contrast. Unfortunately, we see the contrast when we drive around. There are people living in tents in front of skyscrapers. What would you rather live in? For now, we groan and long for that building, but we rest assured that He will provide. We know it is coming. So we be faithful here now, dealing with all the effects of sin and these disposable bodies as faithfully as we can, worshiping, trusting, obeying, knowing that one day all of our righteous desires will be fulfilled. And not just temporarily, forever. And so four contrasts between present and future bodies, the temporal, the spiritual, the physical, and the environmental. And as I mentioned when we began, in every single one of these, we have seen the word sown. The emphasis in death is not burial or cremation, the disposal of a body, which even in biblical times, burial was the norm. The word sown is language of harvest. And in every one of these, we also saw the word raised. Passive. Someone else does it. He raises us. It is a work of God. All our confidence in this being a reality is directly tied to our confidence in God and all that He is, which includes His ability to do what we're talking about. We can be sure that we're, what we're talking about is more than just immortality. You get to live forever. We're talking about living forever and thriving, flourishing, truly living the way God intended. Not just a fancy version of our current body. Our resurrection bodies will be radically different than its earthly counterparts. No sickness or pain. No aging or temporality. No tiring or weariness. In fact, time will not even matter. Because what is time? It's a measurement of how long we have or more often how long we have left. We count. We look at the clock. We tap on our watches. We look in the mirror say, wow, it's already June. Man, it's already 5 o'clock, time to clock out. Still got work to do. Time drives us. Time controls us. You know, sometimes people don't recognize the sizable difference between 1 million and 1 billion. Perhaps it's because we have all these stats and figures that they're actually 
individuals who are billionaires. And so we say, well, just as unattainable as being a millionaire. But did you know that a million seconds is about 12 days? And a billion seconds is almost 32 years. It's almost jarring when you think about it that way, right? But it's jarring because it's time. And in eternity, time doesn't matter. Forget a billion seconds. You'll live for a billion millennia. It's forever. And our minds automatically go there. Man, well, but what about this? And what about my ability? It doesn't age. It doesn't fall apart. In the next life, all of these concerns, including time, (laughs) including time, doesn't matter. Sorry, doctors, you'll be out of work. We don't need you. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the clarity of Your Word. Thank You for teaching us. Thank You for helping us to get a taste of what eternity will be like. Oh Lord, how we long for that day, but guard us against being too casual, too lazy, unfaithful in this life. Give us the strength, both physically as well as mentally, to serve through the difficulties of these sin-wracked bodies. The physical pain, the emotional pain, the distractions, the pride, the sin. Help us just to keep moving forward in seeking to glorify You. And when You come for us or when You call us home, may we rest, may we worship. But until that day, help us to glorify Yourself in every way, every means possible. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.